Good morning. Ooh, that's All right. Turn me down a little bit. There. Well, it was sunny this morning. Wasn't that beautiful? The sun was out seven o'clock in the morning. It's been so dark lately at seven o'clock, but the sun was out. Praise God. Thank you for the gift of sunshine. So I just wanted to uh, welcome everybody watching online this morning. Uh, I'm excited that you were joining us today. Uh, we got some really cool stuff to talk about today. Can you believe that we're almost done with the book of Luke? Wow. I, I know it's been like 10 years, but we're almost done with the book of Luke. It hasn't been 10 years. It's only been a couple, but it's awesome. I, don't you just love diving into the Bible like this and just really getting the feel? At the end of this, you'll be able to say, you know what, I've heard every piece of scripture out of the book of Luke at church. That's awesome. So this morning we're going to get uh, started. We're going to dive in deep. So before we get started, though, let's open in prayer. God, we're just so thankful just to be here uh, this morning. We just pray, Lord, that, that your spirit just fills this place up. God, speak to us today through your word in the book of Luke. We thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us, and especially as we're getting to the end of these chapters here, the end of the book here. We know what's coming, God. We know what's coming with Jesus, and so we just say, Lord, we're so thankful for that. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm calling this morning Surrounded. If you have your Bibles, please open it up to Luke chapter 21. If you do not, that's fine. You can follow along on the screen. Here we go. Luke chapter 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of wealth, but she gave out of poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. Amen. Um, so years ago, Jacinda and I, we, we took a trip to New Orleans with the family. Uh, it was for Thanksgiving. And while we were down there, we were at Jackson Square. And while we were down there, it's a beautiful area. There's lots of uh, amazing food. There's uh, just so many people. It's just it's really a fun place. And while we were down there, though, we were sitting by the Mississippi, and we were drinking coffee from Cafe Du Monde. It's this really cool little coffee shop. And you watch the boats go by on the Mississippi, but then you also people watch. And this is a fantastic thing to do. We were watching people. There's so many people. And you can tell a lot about somebody by just people watching. Did you know that? You can tell when they're in a hurry or when they're stressed out or if they just had an argument with their spouse. A lot of these things you can just tell just by people watching. It's fascinating. Um, it says in the beginning of the scripture that Jesus, he looked up. He looked up. And he took it all in. He was people watching. He was watching what people were doing in the scripture. I want to pause here for a moment at this piece of scripture because we do have a lot to get through this morning because it's chapter 21 is quite long. But we need to, it's important that we stop here and look at the context of the scripture. Um, right before this passage, Jesus was talking, last week Pete was talking about this. He was talking with his disciples and he said at the end of chapter 20, right before this scripture, he said, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show of make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most of all. They will be punished most severely. 
So you see, he's going from that conversation to now talking about the widow. Jesus, he's not happy at the time. He's not happy with religious leaders of the day. In fact, he had just finished rebuking them. And then in the very next piece of scripture, it says, he looked up. I feel like maybe he was doing the world's first face palm. He looked up. And he's seeing and hearing things all around him. He was people watching. He's seeing people, these rich leaders, these rich people pouring money into these chests. The chests at the time that, that were giving, these chests, they were looked like upside-down trumpets. Imagine a trumpet upside down, so it's big at the base and small at the top. And they're made out of metal. And so when money was going in, these copper coins, when all this change was going into these things, it was making a noise. It was making a loud noise. The rich people of the day, and I would say arguably even today, like to make a big scene out of giving. Right? You can imagine the sound of falling money as it was being poured in there, especially by the rich people. It was just this loud noise as this money was pouring into these, these, uh, these chests. And they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves. You know, like, what, look, did you hear that? It's like music to my ears. Then this poor widow, she gives her humble offering of two coppers. Just one and then another. And it probably didn't make much noise at all. Probably did not. Jesus is watching her. Jesus can tell what was going on. And he used this moment to address something that's been going on during this time. The religious leaders were taking advantage of these people. Here's a picture of the temple. Go ahead, Dave. A picture of the temple here. Now, this is just a model of the temple, by the way, because the temple is actually destroyed, as we'll find out. But inside this temple, there's uh, two sections of this temple, really, or three sections. The outer section there is about the size of 14 football fields, and that was for the Gentiles. Then the inner section there, uh, they called that the women's courtyard. That's where the chests were. There are 13 chests in this courtyard, and seven of them you were required to give out. If you went to the temple, you could not leave without giving them. You had to. It wasn't a choice. So these same religious leaders who would reduce widows to poverty that we just talked about in chapter 20, at the end of chapter 20, was also encouraging these people to make donations beyond their means. This is what Jesus is trying to point out to people. The truth is that the Jewish religion at the time had become a corrupt system. Jesus has seen it. Just in chapter 20, he was not happy with the way people were holding themselves up. These uh, religious leaders walking around their flowing robes being held up high. He was not happy with this situation. They were walking around like peacocks, listening to the sound of music, the, the sound of these coins falling into the chest. And they're excited because, you know what, this is money. And as we know, money can be evil. Money can talk loud. Especially in a corrupt system. She had fallen for these teachings, this widow. She had been told that she had to give more than she could. She had to live beyond her means. So I think there's two points here that Jesus is trying to make here. And this one little piece of scripture. One, the system's corrupt. 
and this widow shouldn't have been placed in a position to possibly be compelled to give beyond her means while the rich people just kept giving for their own benefit. Number two, this poor widow, despite the circumstances surrounded by her giving, she gave. She still gave. She gave all she had because she loved God. She didn't have to be there. She chose to be there. She loved God, and she gave all she had. She chose to. This poor widow put in more than all of them. She literally put in less, but Jesus assessed her gift as more. He doesn't say it's better, but just that it's more than all the others. Jesus uses his example for us all. Shouldn't we, as Christians, followers of Christ, be expected to to do the same, to be expected to give all we have because we love God? I'm not talking just about money. We have other gifts to give as well. The Holy Spirit gives us fruits to be used for the glory of God. And we like to keep them sometimes to ourselves. We like to hoard them. We like to just not share that with people, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you invite God into your life, you are given the opportunity to grow and to share these things with others around you. When others see you, do they see joy? What about patience? I look at that list and I'm thinking, man, am I representing all of that? Am I holding that back? Am I hoarding it? Am I being selfish and just like, you know what, I'm just going to keep these gifts for just me. Or am I sharing these gifts? Am I giving all I have to God? When Jesus says, truly I tell you, you better listen to what comes next. Because it's important. This next piece of scripture, verse 3, it says, truly I tell you. Better listen. When Jesus says, truly I tell you. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Jesus is saying, he's talking to his disciples at the time, he's saying, look at her commitment. This is what I expect of you men. Follow her example. All Jesus said is that her giving is radical. It was a radical giving. She gave everything she had and she trusted God to care for her. And Jesus wanted the disciples to see this in total surrender of self, commitment to God, and a willingness to trust God's provision for our lives. Come on, church. Let's trust in God's provision for our lives. And if we're not, then let's change that this morning. Let's change that today. Now Jesus and his disciples, they left town. And they're walking back to the Mount of Olives. And so they're, up the, they're probably halfway up the mountain, and they're looking, they turn around, they're looking back over the, the temple. And they can see the temple sprawled out before them. And it was a beautiful sight, I'm sure. It was adorned with jewels. It had some gold plating on the doors. 
Uh, they called it the beautiful gate for a reason. And so they're up on the mountainside, and they're overlooking this temple. It says in verse 5, some of the disciples were remarking, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come where, where one stone will not be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So they're looking at this temple. The disciples just heard Jesus say, it won't be there any longer, not one stone. They're shocked by these words. If you look at the size of this temple, they cannot believe what they had just heard from Jesus. And you can tell that they were really listening intently because in both Matthew and Mark, the accounts of this conversation are pretty much the same. It says in Luke, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. In Matthew, it says, and he said to them, do not, do not see all these things. Truly I say to you, not one stone will be here upon another, which will not be thrown down. And then in Mark, it's pretty much the same thing. Different, but no. The same. They were listening. They had just heard some crazy news from Jesus. And when you hear these things, you're like, What's going on? Did he just did he just say what I think he said? That that temple is going to be destroyed? They were astonished by the words. They were listening. They had just heard the impossible. Guess what? Jesus' words were true. In 70 AD, that temple was completely destroyed. Historians say that in 70 AD, the Roman general uh, Titus had actually ordered the temple to not be destroyed because he was trying to counteract Jesus' prophecy. He didn't want the prophecy to come true, so he had ordered his, all the, his military not destroy the temple. But in the midst of fighting, they saw the armies coming. They had filled up that temple with all kinds of wood and flammable materials that they were trying to save, and a fire broke out. And if you've ever been there, you know that those, even the rocks back then, even the, the bricks that they used were flammable. And that temple burned down. And then, everybody, all the people went through there later and were removing all the stones so they can get to the gold that was all in there. That building, that temple, was completely destroyed. Jesus' words are true. Amen? So we know that the, that the temple was destroyed, but we also know that Jesus, the disciples didn't realize it at the time, but Jesus did. And we know now that Jesus was talking to about himself. I'm getting the signal to change microphones. Give me a second. All right. Is that better? All right. Good thing we have this microphone up here. So we now know that Jesus was also talking about himself. And we also know live stream that Jesus is coming back. In 2021, we need Jesus, right? We need Jesus. And church, we need to be living like Jesus. It's a struggle. 
it shouldn't be. But as humans in 2021, and we see this, all of us see this around us in our families. We see this maybe even within, our, within ourselves, or we see this as coworkers. That it can be tough to live like Jesus. The disciples say in verse 7, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign be that they're about to take place? So we know that there, there have been, over the years, there have been lots of false predictions about the second coming of Christ. I'm sure you've heard them. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy, to be honest. I looked it up. I was like, what are the predictions of the second coming of Christ? And you, you start reading these things, and you're like, what in the world is going on? But we've been living in the end times since the day Jesus died. I love what it says in Second Peter. Peter warned, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then he added, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So striving to live for God. That is what Jesus wants us to focus on. He wants us to focus our energy to striving to live for God while we wait for his return. And guess what? Striving to live for God is something that each of us has in us. When we accepted Jesus into our lives, we all have everything we need to live a true life for God. All of us. But the problem is, we allow things to get in the way of that, don't we? We surround ourselves with roadblocks. We surround ourselves with obstacles until we are blinded and we're surrounded on all sides by our own earthly desires. Whatever it might be. It's all around us and we are surrounded by it. So let's be reminded, we need to be reminded on a daily basis that God is good and God has good plans for each and every one of you. And for us to just keep our focus on God and we can rejoice in that. So the disciples, they had just heard the impossible. And they want to know what signs to keep an eye out for. So Jesus, he gives his disciples a series of warnings to look out for. And when I read this, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Because some of these things that he's talking about, some of these things he's saying, could be and should be, probably, frightening. Jesus replies in verse 8, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will come, will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you. They will persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom 
that none of you, none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will live life. So the disciples have just heard this thing. You have to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples or sandals of the disciples. Jesus had just told them that some of them would be put to death. How would you feel if someone told you that soon you might be killed? But now Jesus makes a statement which at first it makes no sense. He had just stated that they will be killed. And then he says not even a hair on their head will perish. given them a word of encouragement. He is assuring them that their salvation is secure and that they won't be lost. And we as Christians, we can claim that encouragement as well. We can celebrate that. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation is secure. You've got to realize this is happening just a few days before Jesus dies. And Jesus knows, by the way, that he's about to die. And he knows that he has to die. Thank you, Jesus, for that, because our salvation, he had just told them, even though the, the disciples didn't quite understand what was going on, he had just told them that their salvation is secure, and so is ours. In verse 20, it continues, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desola desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. And we know Jesus' words come true. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. On the earth, nations will be, will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the, heaven, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in on a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In these scriptures, you see Jesus, he was talking about the temple, but then he also linked it to his return. It says, the Son of Man is coming in on a cloud with power and great glory. He's not coming in with weakness, he's coming in with power. At the beginning of the warnings, it starts off with talks of war and uprisings. I love this. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened, he says. If I heard of a war breaking out in Tacoma, I'd probably be frightened, to be honest. Our natural reaction to war and to many of those prophecies is fear. These disciples have just heard this whole list of things to look out for. It's fear. 
scary. But Jesus says, do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. So then how can we as believers not be frightened? Jesus calls for us to believe him. And because of that, we have a choice. If we believe him, we can choose to not be terrified. It's a choice. By believing Jesus and relying wholly on his Holy Spirit to supernaturally enable us, to fill us, to obey Jesus' words, we need to be spirit-filled, continually seeking to be surrendered in the Spirit of Jesus. And the best part, church, we know that Jesus is returning. Amen? Fear, it is a real thing. It's something that I see a lot of, even from Christians. And these scriptures, there are some real things to be afraid of. Think about some of the things that are going on in your life right now that may be causing fear. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's a family relationship. Maybe it's a loss of job. Maybe it's addiction. These are real things happening right now in this room. And for those of us watching online, these are real things that are going on in our lives. But, and it's easy to read over these things because as humans, our eyes and our minds when reading scriptures, and even in daily conversations, our eyes and our minds go to reading the negative and just glossing over the positive. Think about a conversation you may have had with somebody and they're like, they tell you some good news, and then they tell you some bad news. Typically, you just remember the bad news because that's what we hold on to as humans. We hold on to the bad parts. If I were to say, you have to wear masks in church, but we get to have church. Our first thought is to the masks, not to the fact that we get to have church. And Jesus gave us some encouragement in the middle of these scary things. And we need to, as Christ followers, to hold on to and to make our focus. In verse 9 it says, do not be frightened. Those are some of the things in the middle of all that negativity. There's some positive stuff in there that Jesus wants us to hold on to. Do not be frightened, he says. In verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. In verse 19, stand firm and you will win life. In verse 28, when these things begin to take place, now this part is important. Stand up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. Church, we need to wake up. We need to hold our heads up high. Not walk around when things are getting rough with our heads down like we just lost the battle or that we're in defeat, but hold our head up high because life looks scary. But guess what? And you already know this, but life is hard. And as Pastor Dan says, it gets harder. 
So we can choose to just walk around with our heads down, just going about life. Or we can stand up as Christ followers and hold our heads up high because we've got Jesus in our corner with us. And when we have Jesus in our corner with us, there's no reason to fear. Finally, Jesus tells us in the parable. Because guess what? Just in case you didn't know, that's what Jesus does. Right? He speaks in parables. It says in verse 29, he told him of this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and with the anxieties of life. And that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all of those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came out early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is a warning that Jesus has for us all to be watchful and it applies to every believer until he returns. Life spring, I want to ask, how do you gauge your spiritual condition this morning? Remember what verse 34 said. It said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And then that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. I'm telling you, these anxieties will spring up on you out of nowhere. And that day will close on you like a trap. Stay in your Bible. And if you need a Bible reading plan, we would love to set you up with one. We have one at the church that we read every day. And it's just been amazing. So if you need to be in your Bible and you want help with that, you can see us. And we would love to sign you up for that. Are you continually being watchful? Are you contemplating and living life that today could be the day that Jesus returns? What if you return today? Are we ready? We don't know when that's going to happen. Or have you been dulled into living a worldly existence by which focuses on the temporary at the expense of the eternal? You cannot focus on both at the same time. You cannot replace things of God with things of this world and still be focused on God. This chapter it ended, and I love this, it's beautiful. It ended with, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. I love that. Are we up early to sit with Jesus? When life gets hard, do we go to Jesus first? Or do we wait until we are buried up to our necks by anxiety, surrounded by all sides by destruction? Only then do we go to Jesus Where do we go first? Wake up early. Spend time with Jesus before all of that stuff happens. Before all that builds up around us. 
couple nights ago, Leilani knocked on our door about 2 a.m. in our bedroom, and she came into our room, and uh, she was like, she was upset. She was sick. She had a real bad stomach ache. And so we said, okay, we'll lay down on the couch, and you can sleep with us tonight. So she laid down on the couch and in our room, and she was sleeping. But then the next morning, she, she wakes up, and she tells us that she spent the night praying to God for healing. And she, can, she said as she was praying, she felt her stu- the pain in her stomach shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until it was gone. That's from a, a 10-year-old. She has it right. And then the next day, uh, we, were, we have these little things that hang on our door handles. You guys probably have some of that stuff too, a little decor. And one of them says, prayer works. And she was pointing at it. And she said, yes, yes, it does. Prayer works. I wanted to invite somebody to come up and speak to us for a moment. Catherine, you have a word. Last Sunday, <clears throat> Pastor Dan had the word that for healing, and he spoke about that. And then he said, does anybody here need healing? And, and he, several people raised their hands. He, he acknowledged that. And, and so I'm standing there, and I, I said, well, Lord, my shoulder. And so Pastor prayed, and then the service went on. And I went home. There was nothing different. I mean, I just, he prayed, and I just took the prayer, and I left. Wednesday morning, uh, after I read, did my devotionals on my iPad, I'd gone in the kitchen to start breakfast, and I had this sensation to take the iPad, and I brought up last Sunday's service, and, and I watched it and listened to it. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, I just said, I'm healed. It was that second I knew God had touched me. I was healed. It probably happened then, but I didn't realize it. And there's a, a shelf in my cupboard I cannot reach with very carefully. I, have, I can't put something up because I'd drop it. And I can now reach the shelf. And, and I guess what I want to say with that is, you know, like my friend Leanne, she got a touch immediately. She knew it happened, and she was so excited. But, and I, this has happened to me before. It's, it's a while later I realized, wait a minute, uh, Kaylee prayed for me a lot for my hip last summer, and it was really bad. And I was down in Arizona with my friend Diane, when all of a sudden I realized my hip doesn't hurt anymore. So, you know, everything in God's time, and did I have to do something special? I just have to say, yes, God, and believe it. So, Amen. Keep an active prayer life going. Prayer works. Like Catherine said, it's not necessarily, it's not in our time. We would love to pray to God for something and have it just happen. doesn't always work that way, though, does it? Someone said, I heard somewhere that someone said, it's better to pray and have God answer some of the time than to never pray and God answer none of it. 
So keep an active prayer life. Pray every day throughout your day. It's interesting. I, I, I was thinking about that this week. I'm like, well, how many times a day do I pray? Like, not, and it doesn't even have to be the big things. Pray for the small stuff. God wants to answer your prayers. He, pray for healings. God wants that to happen too. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, I pray, you know, in the mornings, and then I pray throughout the day, like, oh, you know, thank you, God, for this. And I think, you know, it's amazing. It adds up after a while, but God receives your prayer. And it becomes a habit. And you want to develop that habit as a Christian, you want to have that active prayer life, not a dead prayer life, not a prayer life that just falls flat, but an active prayer life, which means you're being active. Maybe it's on your way to work in the morning. Maybe it's on your way home. Maybe it's both. The power of prayer is real. If not, ask Leilani if you don't know. The power of prayer works. She believes. As I get ready to close this morning, I'd like to invite the worship team back up, please. And I wanted to read a passage from a book. It's called A Day's Journey. It's by Pastor John Corson. I'm probably saying his name wrong. But when I read this passage, and I was thinking about the sermon for this week, and praying on the sermon this week, it kind of tied it all together. He says in this book, he says, I can so easily be sucked into the cares of this life, bogged down by the things of this world. But when I study the words of Jesus, I am reminded of the big picture all over again. I am reminded that I'm only here for a short time. I am reminded of eternity. Every single believer who is hurting physically, or emotionally, every single saint who is struggling financially will indeed be healed and freed incredibly. It might be tonight. It might be this week. It might be this year. It might not be until heaven. But God's promise to you will be kept perfectly if you don't lose sight of the big picture. Spend consistent time with Jesus. Be like those in our text. Come early to hear him early in your day, early in your life, early in the situation before you, and be reminded of heaven all over again. Life spring, when things get hard, and some of the things that we read about today is hard, and when some of the issues of the world that we talked about, and you know these issues that are surrounding your own personal lives better than anybody else, when they begin to close in and surround you on all sides, take time, to magnify Christ. Or the only other option is to give up and lose the battle. The choice is yours. We have that choice. But I know what I'm choosing. Joshua 24:15 says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We choose Jesus. Church, we choose Jesus. We don't choose the things that are going on in this world. We don't choose the the struggles of financials, any of that stuff. We don't choose that stuff. We don't want to live by that stuff. We want to live by Jesus. We want to uh, be Jesus glorified. We want to be magnifying Jesus in our communities, in our jobs, in our relationships. The opposite of that is to magnify destruction, to magnify death. And I refuse to do that. I refuse. 
I was there. I know what that's like. I lived that life before Jesus. And I never, ever want to go back to that life again. Jesus changed everything in my life. And I always want to magnify that. Like the widow from the beginning of this chapter, are we giving God our all? Are we being radical in our lives? If we're not, let's start that this morning right here, right now. For some of us this morning, maybe this is you, and you're ready to do radical things for God. You're you're ready to make radical changes in your life for God. As the worship team leads us in this final song, I want to allow space for God to work in us, for the Holy Spirit to change us, to work in us. If you need prayer, we'll have our prayer team over here. But if you just need to come up here to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I need to repent. God, take these burdens from me, please. Take my heart of stone and exchange it with a heart of flesh. This is a good time for that. Church, it's not some secret formula. Prayer works. So as we're singing this song, this will be a time for us to come up here. Just spend time with God. He loves you. He's got good plans for you. He doesn't have bad plans for you. He's got good plans for you. Jesus, we need you this morning to reveal yourself in a new way to us. Come, change lives today, Lord. Change lives for everyone in this room. Speak to us as we go about our day. Allow not one of us to leave here the same as when we walked in. When we walked in here, God, we walk, some of us walked in here with baggage in our hearts. We walked in here on the, you know, maybe we had an argument with our spouse this morning or maybe with our spouse last night. God, we're holding on to this resentment this morning. We want to leave it here right now at the altar at your feet. God, because you are a good God who's got good plans for us. And those plans don't include all this negativity, negativity that we are harboring in our hearts. Take that heart of stone and change it with a heart of flesh, God, right here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.